Hello everyone and welcome to our Sunday afternoon Bible study. This is Bill Allen coming at you from our house in our front bedroom from our home in the homestead here in Tyler, Texas. Hope that you're having a nice Sunday. We had a good rain last night during the night and this morning a wonderful worship assembly and Bible classes with our West Irwin Church of Christ family. Welcoming our new youth minister, Tucker Sullivan, to our group, and what a great moment that was, and we're so glad to have Tucker and Elizabeth uh, with us as they look to begin this ministry with us here at West Irwin. Uh, they'll be married in September, and uh, we are excited that, um, that Tucker is here. Elizabeth will be uh, joining him after the wedding in September, and we'll look forward to some uh, getting to see her some as she makes some trips back and forth and I know he will be doing some of the same thing as they get ready for their September wedding. Uh, it is great to be with you. Nice to see some folks already starting up. I know we've had a few that have said that sometimes the um, the service, the, the, the message goes a little bit haywire and goes off and comes back on, but hang in there with me. I think uh, hopefully it will it will stay consistent and maybe we'll have uh, a, a little bit better luck um, today. Uh, so welcome to all. Good to know that uh, we have uh, a bunch of folks with us that we typically do. That's always a blessing. And uh, even some who are on vacation. So hello uh, to the Stones and the Murphys as you all are enjoying some time away and some wonderful family time. We missed you this morning, but I know y'all are enjoying it and having a great trip. Uh, together. Good for you. Um, as you can tell from the um, title of today's lesson, we're in 1 John chapter 2, and the title is Anti-World, Anti-Christ, or Neither. Uh, that is the lesson that we're having uh, today, and that stirs a little bit of interest, and it stirs some questions and comments, and so I hope that, that you're ready, and as we get ready to, uh, uh, to take part in this important lesson. So uh, hello to all of you that are on, including my dear, sweet, wonderful sister, Alice in Beaumont, and, uh, and here we go. Uh, too many times we, um, we hear, <laughs> in fact, just last week, I saw a, a message on Twitter, see one pretty often on Twitter or Facebook or some other place that says something like, get ready everyone, this is the end times, or we're in the last days for sure. And a lot of people say some things like that, and so I want to address that here in just a little bit, but I want us to first, I want us to see that in its context. And as we've been going through this study of 1 John, remember there are two streams that John addresses. One are those who need some encouragement uh, and who just need some assurance of their salvation. And so he says in 1 John 5 verse 13, I'm writing these things to you so that you will know that you are saved and have that confidence and assurance. But then there are others who need to straighten up, or as my Air Force dad used to say, straighten up and fly right. And uh, they need to repent, and they need to acknowledge that they are sinners, and they need to realize that they need to come to Christ. And so I think that as, as uh, John uh, speaks in this chapter, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, there's something to say again for both. And, uh, and he calls on us to consider uh, our service to Christ and our willingness to be his representatives in the world. So let's start with this lesson, starting in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, as we ask the question, are we, as Christians, are we against the world? 
Um, and the short answer for that is actually no. Um, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, this is a very familiar passage to many of us. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, Bill, did I hear you right? Uh, right after you said uh, that, uh, that we are called upon to care about the world, then you read a passage of scripture that says, um, we're not to love the world. And, uh, I, and I, I agree, that sounds like a contradiction. But you know, remember the great passage in John 3.16, the verse that everybody knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that we wouldn't die but have everlasting life through him. God loves the world, but God does not love sin. And I think that's what this passage is referring to as well. When it says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Don't be worldly. Uh, remember a while back we were looking at some of these questions and um, and we ask ourselves, is the church a worldly church? Is the church a cultural church? And uh, if you remember correctly, I take the second question first. Is the church a cultural church? Well, it absolutely is. Of course it reflects its culture. It's why we wear what we wear to church. It's why we meet when we meet. In a sense, it's why our sermons are as long or as short as they are. That's all a reflection of our culture. Um, and, and different cultures do some of those things differently. We understand that. That's just a reflection of the culture. We look different when we gather for church today than, um, say, the church at Troas did in Acts chapter 20 when Paul and his mission team stopped there and, and met together uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper and Paul preached to them. Uh, our group looks a little bit different, different clothing, uh, different meeting places, different times, but still we're doing the same things. We're taking of that communion, remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and the call for us to live the same way. So it's important for us to remember that, yes, it's okay to be a cultural church. We can't be anything else. We are people in a certain place and time, and that's okay. But that's different than saying we are a worldly church. The answer to that question is we are absolutely not to be a worldly church. And so in that sense, John writes and he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Why? Because worldliness, as we remember from the traditional translation, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, those things that he describes here uh, are the things that uh, are against uh, the message and the truth of the gospel. And so he says, uh, those things don't come from the Father. They come from the world. And the world is passing away. We remember the great passage in Colossians 3 that says, set your minds and your hearts on things above. The things that are eternal, the things that are spiritual, the things that will last. That's what we're called to do as well. Uh, so this passage, I think, tells us we're not to be identical to the world. Uh, we, are, we are to, uh, in the words of uh, Richard Niebuhr in his book, Christ and Culture, talking about Christian ethics and other things, 
Um, he says, we are not to be the same as culture. This is the Christ of culture. Some people try to uh, make Christ just the same as the world, and he's not. And neither are Christians, and neither is uh, the church. Uh, in fact, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks out strongly against that. We sing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And, and, and that is true. But we are not identical to the world, yet nor are we to be isolated from the world. We're not to set ourselves apart from the world. In fact, Jesus in his prayer in John 17 prays to the Father to protect us and sanctify us through the word of God uh, so that we are safe from the world. But at the same time, he says, I am sending them into the world just as you sent me. And so we're not to be isolated from the world at all. We are to be sent into the world. Um, and and this, is, this is what he calls Christ against culture. As we're sent into the world, we're not to become worldly. Uh, and yet at the same time, we're not to be opposed to the world. For God so loved the world, and we should too. We should too. Not the worldliness and the sinfulness of the world. But just as Jesus said, the second great commandment is to love our neighbor, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we, we sometimes another song we sing is Christ for the world, we sing. And, and we recognize that we are sent into the world with the gospel. And so that leads us to a better understanding, which is we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Again, Jesus' prayer in John 17, talking to the Father shortly before his death, he says, they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. And yet here he was, in the midst of the world, sharing in our suffering, sharing in our humanity, sharing in our temptation, though never sinning, as Hebrews says, uh, and even sharing in our death. And so we're called, we're sent into the world. We don't hate the world, uh, but we hate sin, and we hate uh, the tragedy and the hurt and the pain uh, and the separation from God that sinfulness brings. It is, uh, in Niebuhr's words, it is Christ transforming culture. It is not the Christ of culture, and yet Christ is not against culture either. Uh, Jesus acknowledged the culture of his day and the way he lived, and yet he never sinned. He never became worldly. Um, and so we're called to live out the truth of the gospel in the midst of this world right in the middle of it. And sometimes that can be really confusing. Sometimes that is harder than at other times. And so as we look at this list of sins, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we realize that's just a summary. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, Perhaps all sins could be uh, put into one of those three categories or a combination. But we do know that John is talking about the things that are against the will of God, the things that break the commandment of God that are against the word of God. And so we're not to be anti-world. We're sent into the world with the gospel message. And so as we think about the title of this lesson in this passage, this passage in 1 John 2 continues on and we ask the question, okay, well, we're not to be anti-world. We're not to be worldly, but we're not against the world. Um, but what about the anti Christ. What exactly does that mean? Well, again, 1 John 2 talks about that. And so I want us to read from 1 John 2, beginning at verse 18. 1 John 2, 18 through 23. Dear children, John says, this is the last hour. Yes, we will come back to that. I think that's significant for us. 
Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. Yes, that's what the Bible says in 1 John 2.18, written in the first century, <laughs> just decades after Jesus died. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Verse 22 asks, It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Pretty clear teaching, it seems to me, from an apostle of Jesus Christ who walked with him from the earliest time of his ministry, lived with him, uh, is described as the apostle whom Jesus loved. John shares these important words. And, um, and, and I think that it's important for us to think about what he says about Antichrist, about the last hour, about what it really means to be against Christ. Um, and so um, we ask ourselves, well, is this the last days? Is this the last hour? Are these the end times? And the answer to that is, well, yes. As a matter of fact, it is. But before you go crazy on that one, let me quickly add, it has been that way since the very first century. It's been that way for almost 2,000 years. You say, well, Bill, how can it be the last days for 2,000 years? Well, remember how much time came before Jesus was born and lived and died and was raised and ascended into heaven and began his church. Uh, scripture says in 2 Peter 3 and in Psalms, you know, a, a day with the Lord is, is just a short amount of time. And, and every day God gives us is another chance for the sinner to repent. And that's why he hasn't come yet, even though it is the last days, even though it is the end times, even though it is uh, that last days that have been around for almost 2,000 years. Um, yes, it is the last days. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit is given and the church begins, um, Peter, in the sermon recorded by Luke in Acts 2, quotes from Joel 2, talking about the last days. And what Peter says is, this is what Joel was talking about. This is the beginning of that. Uh, and this is the moment when that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in the name of Jesus Christ. Another passage that says specifically that this is the last days is 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle is, uh, Paul is writing to uh, his, men, his mentee, uh, to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Paul says this uh, almost 2,000 years ago, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. 
And you say, well, Bill, he's describing our world. He's describing our country. He's describing the world today. And I would say, well, yes, he is. But listen to the last statement of 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. After he says all of these, he writes to Timothy and he says, have nothing to do with such people. And then he goes on and further describes them and warns Timothy, the young preacher, how to deal with all of that. So yeah, we're all, are all of those things present in our world today? Unfortunately, yes. But it doesn't mean that Jesus' coming is imminent. Maybe it is, but it doesn't mean that it is because Paul wrote those things and described that situation as being current 2,000 years ago in the very first century. Um, and so for Paul, he thought that they were that it was the last hour, uh, not long after Jesus died and rose again, within decades. Um, Timothy was cautioned how to deal with that. The Apostle John writes in our passage in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 8, Dear children, this is the last hour. This is the last hour. And so we acknowledge that. It's just that there's, there's no telling how long this last stage of human history and world history. There's no telling how long these end times, these last days will go. It could go another 2,000 years or more. Again, the reason that it hasn't ended is because God wants to give everyone as much opportunity as they can to repent and be saved. One day God will say enough and Jesus will be sent and he will come and everything that we see that is physical will be destroyed and will all appear before the judgment seat of God. Thankfully, with the blood of Jesus covering our sins. Um, but when that will happen, I, I don't know. There's no telling. Even Jesus in Matthew 24 uh, and other passages like Mark 13 and Luke 21 when he describes, I think primarily, um, the destruction of Jerusalem and the taking over of, of the temple, the destruction of the temple, as the Romans come in and just lay it waste, just destroy it in AD 70. Um, I think that's what primarily Jesus is talking about. But then he shifts gears a little bit and he says, now about that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the sun. And yet, <laughs> and yet people sell a lot of books and get a lot of clicks and, and sell a lot of advertising um, by talking about these end days and how we're right there. Well, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. Here's the thing, ultimately it doesn't matter because we're called upon to live a faithful life. And if you're, if you're thinking that the motivation to live a faithful life is, is because the world's about to end, well, if that helps you be closer to God, then I guess that's all right, but that's a very low level of motivation to be obedient to God. There's a, there's a greater reason to do that, not because you think the world's about to end, but because you know what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And if you knew that this world was going to last another 2,000 years, would it change anything for you? See, that's the question. Would you live faithfully to God if you knew the world was going to keep going for a 1,000 years? because it shouldn't change anything. Our desire is to serve and be obedient to Christ. Our desire is to love the world by sharing the gospel and living the gospel as Jesus was called upon to leave heaven and come do according to John 3, 16. 
and now he has sent us into the world. How For how long? Who knows? Who knows? He could end before this lesson. And I realize this lesson has already gone on for 20 minutes and you're thinking, well, he might. <laughs> I've known Bill to preach a long time. Or he may wait for 10,000 years more. I, we just don't know. But it doesn't matter. What's important, as Peter says in that great passage in 2 Peter 3, is that he will return. Scripture says the day of the Lord will come and everything that we see that's physical will be destroyed. And so then he writes, therefore, since that's true, what kind of people should you be? What kind of life should you live? And that's the real question. And that's what John addresses here in 1 John 2. And as he talks to his hearers, he tells them, look, this is the last hour. Uh, and, 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 and I want you to be aware of that. Uh, and then he says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it's the last hour. <laughs> but wait, John, you wrote that 2,000 years ago. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And were there Antichrists? Was the Antichrist there in John's day? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, don't, I don't get that. What does that mean? Well, John says there are many Antichrists in the world today. And then he says in verse 22, he defines exactly what that is. Uh, verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. In John 8, Jesus told the Jewish leaders around them, he said, look, you are, you're liars and, and you're like your father, the devil, because he is a liar, was a liar from the beginning and is the father of lies. And it almost got him killed prematurely in John 8. Uh, well, John the Apostle says much the same thing right here uh, when he says a person who is antichrist is the person who is against antichrist. Christ. That's exactly what the, wor the word means. And we keep reading a little bit further in 1 John, which we'll get to, but in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4 verse 3, he says this, Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. It just amazes me with plain statements like this that there could be all this hubbub about the Antichrist is here, the Antichrist is coming, the end of the world is here, these are the last days, this is the end times. Okay, <laughs> okay, John didn't seem to stir up a whole bunch of hoopla in the first century by saying those things because he knew that, that this was the truth, that there were people out there who were opposed to Jesus. Uh, he says something more about Antichrist. In 2 John, that short little one chapter letter, 2 John verse 7, 2 John verse 7, this is what he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Again, John is clear. John is clear. Are there antichrists? Yes. Is, there, is the antichrist here? Yes. Has the antichrist been around? Have there been antichrists in every generation since John wrote those words? Yes. Unfortunately, yes. Why? Because there have always been individuals who have opposed the cause of Christ. And some of them get great power and have many followers. And so, yeah, there are always people who are spreading uh, lies about 
Jesus and about the truth of the gospel. But let's not, let's not jump over the edge with this, shall we? Let's remind ourselves that the word of God is true and consistent. And what it says is, this is the last hour, yes. These are the end times, the last days, yes. And they may go on for hundreds or thousands of years still, or they may end today. Either way, what Jesus says, what scripture says is, if you are living obedient to me, if you are following scripture, not doing it perfectly, but seeking to know the will of God and then seeking as best you can in your life to obey it and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what the old hymn says, trust and obey, then you're going to be fine. And if Jesus comes during your lifetime, that'll be great. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It'd be great. But if he waits another 2,000 years, that's okay too. Because we know the only reason he would do that is to give sinners one more chance to repent every single day, every single moment. Uh, anyone with the spirit of Antichrist is against Christ. They claim for themselves or someone else the power, authority, glory, worship that rightfully belong only to Jesus Christ. So are there some antichrists around today? Yes, there are. And you should know that. Is this the last hour? Are these the last days? Is it the end times? Yes, it is. Why? Because we're no longer under the law of Moses. Uh, we have seen that Redeemer, that promised Messiah, that Savior come and live and die and be raised and ascend into heaven. And so now we are under the new covenant that Jeremiah describes in Jeremiah 31 uh, that God looks forward to throughout the Old Testament and giving that message of hope to his people. And now that he has sent into the world that the world has rejected and killed and that has been raised from the dead and the tomb is empty and the son is now with the father once again and has left his Holy Spirit as his presence and has left his holy word for his people, the church, for every person who names the name of Christ, to follow that word. That's what we are to be about. And if we're about that, then uh, the Antichrist discussion is not going to matter. It's not going to change a thing in our lives. It's kind of like the political situation today. Does this change how you live your life? Does this change the values you hold? Does who lives in the White House and what kind of laws are being passed? Well, it could make our lives more difficult or it could make them easier as Christians, as the church, as people who are seeking to be obedient to the will and word of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't change what that will and what that word is. And it shouldn't change how we live our lives with faith and trust and hope and joy. You know, I have to smile when I think about this whole Antichrist discussion. People saying, is the Antichrist in the world today? And again, John's answer would be yes, and has been in every generation for 2,000 years. But some would say, well, is it, is it Joe Biden? Is it Nancy Pelosi? Is it Donald Trump? Is it George W. Bush? Is it Hillary Clinton? Well... That question has been asked in every generation. As long as I've been alive, I think every human president <laughs> that has taken power since I've been alive it has been referred to as the Antichrist by their opposers who have some kind of faith and use scripture uh, out of context, who refuse to look at plain statements like what we've seen today and they do it to manipulate or they do it to escape. 
They might do it to manipulate others to their cause, but they might also do it to escape because scripture is clear about how we should live. So let's talk about Antichrist and the end times and the last days. Let's don't talk about what I should be doing to love my neighbor as myself. Let's don't talk about what I should be doing to uphold the sanctity of marriage in my life and in the lives of those I can have an influence in and with. Let's not talk about not being materialistic, but being willing to give and to share and to concentrate on the treasures in heaven and to build that account up rather than simply the account that I have in my bank account today. Well, those things hit closer to home, don't they? And so it's easier to talk about the end times and the Antichrist than it is to talk about the kind of life that I'm living right now and is it consistent with the word of God? Do my values, are they consistent with the values of Jesus Christ? In the first century, they thought Caesar was the Antichrist. Later, it was Attila the Hun. Then it was Stalin. Then it was Hitler. Then it was Saddam Hussein. <laughs> then it was Osama bin Laden. And again, pretty much every U.S. president <laughs> that has ever resided in the White House. Why? Because it's much easier to talk about that than to talk about me serving and loving Jesus Christ and being obedient to him every day in my life. Uh, is the Antichrist here? Well, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. And because we care about the people in this world, we fight the one who is against Christ, against the truth, the great liar. We fight him with the truth. And when I say him, we know that whoever that looks like in each generation, and they will have theirs, just like we have ours. The one who they are ultimately against is Jesus Christ. And so the way we seek to consider that is by speaking the truth in Jesus Christ. Well, what's the answer? I think John tells us the answer in the remaining verses here in 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. In other words, if you hold on to that consistent message of the truth that's in this book right here, the Bible, then all of these crazy stories that you hear, you're going to keep them in perspective. As for you, 1 John 2, 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Again, giving us assurance. Verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And they had a lot of those in the first century, and we have a lot of those today. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, that Holy Spirit. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And so we look to the inspired word of God and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us uh, to combat the truth, uh, to combat uh, with the truth, the lies that the Antichrist of our generation, uh, and there are several, and will always be several, are trying to spread remain in him what jesus said in john 15 abide in me i am the vine you are the branches 
If you remain and abide in me, you'll be okay. You'll be all right. Verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he does appear, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And then he's going to talk more about that in chapter 3. Um, is it the last hour? Yes. Are these the end times? Yes. Is the Antichrist in the world? Yes. <laughs> and the answers to all of those questions have been the same <laughs> for almost 2,000 years. Yes, it is the end times. Yes, it is the last day. Yes, there are antichrists in the world that are trying to pull us away from the word of God, the simple truth of God's word, the simple call to live a faithful, trusting, obedient, joyful life in Jesus Christ. I hope you don't get lost in all the hoopla. It breaks my heart and saddens me greatly to see it because all it is is a tactic by Satan to pull people away from the simple teaching of God's word. Um, and my heart breaks, my heart breaks. But what do we get from this lesson today? Well, we remember that there are antichrists in the world and that we need to be aware. But the way we fight back is by holding on to the truth of God's word. Hearing that message from John, that message from Paul, that message from Jesus Christ. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So instead of all the hoopla, instead of all the theories, instead of the latest thing that Whoever you follow on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram is saying, how about opening up your Bible? How about reading from God's Word? How about relying on the one who is the way and the truth and the life? I pray that for you. I pray that for our churches. I pray that for our nation. I pray that for our world, that world that God loves so much that he gave his one and only son for it. Let us all be willing to do, give our lives in that same cause. May God bless you.